0: finding moments today's title for our sermon is called certificates of achievement and uh several weeks ago i got a birthday gift in the mail from the oregon dmv pretty nice i'm thinking of me on my birthday yeah how about that and uh and they sent me a little card about this side and it said your birthday's coming basically didn't really talk about my birthday but it did talk about the date of my birthday and it said i need to renew my driver's license so I started to look online and figure out, okay, what do I got to have? Because you always got to have something when you walk in there. You don't want to go home again. You know, you want to have it, go in there and get it done. And so uh, I, went, I went and dug around there and, and online and read what I needed. And it, and it ended up being that basically I needed my birth certificate. So uh, those kind of uh, papers, you know, all the important stuff. I don't really do wall hanging stuff with papers and that. I kind of have a nice trunk, though, that we keep that stuff in. So I was going through that trunk looking and I found my driver's license. And here's a photocopy of it. I didn't bring the actual one because I don't trust myself enough to remember to bring it back home with me. But uh, it says here, I was born uh, at 6.37 in the morning. I don't know why because I'm not a morning person at all. Don't enjoy mornings. They're the worst time of the day for me. But evidently, I was wanting out of there pretty bad. So uh, 6.37 in the morning, which surprised me. But you know, you always find interesting stuff when you're digging through those those files or those, our trunk of, of, pictures and things we have in there, and as I dug through that, you know, I got thinking about it, you know, uh, those memories, those pictures, those important papers that are all there, throughout our lives, we collect these items. They're token reminders of a life event, you know, and as I went through mine, I saw a birth certificate, I found that and dug it out, but there's also some awards from when I was in school, uh, some certificates of achievement, a couple elementary school report cards were shoved in there, Um, you know, some ribbons, some plaques that I had won, uh, there were no trophies because I don't run, on purpose. Um, and most of those involved some sort of running. Uh, high school diploma was in there, college diploma, my merit, my, merit, my merit certificate, my uh, license to preach, my ordination papers. Those two of life events were all—all all these cool life event things are in there. So it's kind of fun to, to kind of look at those. You know, isn't it kind of fun just looking at memories, looking at those life achievements, and going, oh, look at that. Yeah, that's neat. But you know, those things, as cool as they are. Um, you know, they're all just certificates and and things that have done it that that show points in my life, and eventually in the end, you end up with another certificate, and that's a death certificate. So we go from one certificate to another, and I don't know how that's kind of a reward for a life, because that seems kind of chintzy. I mean, our government should do something a little better than, you know, that, you know, Uh, you know, take care of us while we're alive, do something fancy for us, you know, but uh, they just give us a piece of paper, it says we're dead, and that proves it, but, you know, we have these, these certificates, well, it's great to reminisce and look at those. However, those certificates are really not my most defining moments in life. They're, they're good moments. They're moments I value, but I don't, you know, I see them and I remember them once in a while. But they're not the things that I call to memory a lot. They're not truly my defining moments. I want to talk about that this morning, defining moments. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these people. And Lord, all of us face life challenges. We all have those moments that define us. And uh, Lord, uh, there's great moments in my life where you showed up and you did a miracle or you did something that was unexpected. And God, you're so good to do that. What I pray today is I just talk to these guys about, uh, you know, about these these, uh, life moments, about prayer. God, that you'll help us all to catch a heart to not give up, but to pray and seek your will and that uh, you can be an amazing answer uh, when nothing else can. And so, Lord, we just put our faith in you this morning, and thank you, God, for this time together. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'll guide and direct the things I say. Lord, you'll help us all to hear exactly what we're supposed to hear and take away from today. Holy Spirit, you can talk to us each individually and help remind us of something specific that we're supposed to walk away from this place with from this message. Thank you for that. Amen. Point number one. Life achievements are placed on a resume. Spiritual moments define who we are. Life's just not a checklist or a series of awards and certificates. It's really a journey of faith. Now, some people choose to embrace that journey. Others pretend to try and ignore it. You know, they just say, I'm not going to have anything to do with faith. But it is. All of life is a journey of faith. It's the most important part of life. And throughout my life, I've seen moments and circumstances that have challenged my faith. These difficult moments led to some of the greatest defining moments of my life. There wasn't a certificate of participation that I got afterward, no trophy to place on a shelf, no physical item that could truly represent what occurred in my heart and in my life. Through each of these faith journeys, I had moments wondering why God hadn't showed up in these circumstances, where he was, why wasn't he taking care of this for me? But I prayed and obeyed him, believing that he would reveal himself. I have to remind myself to focus on who's in control of my life and in whom I put my faith and trust. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It says, and this is our memory verse as well for today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. You know, I love that, that we have to not depend on our own thoughts. They'll mess us up. I don't know about you, but my own thoughts can send me sideways. If I don't have God in mind and I'm not asking him for direction, and I just start doing stuff, sometimes bad things happen. You know, I get myself in trouble or I say something I didn't mean to say or did something I shouldn't have done the way that, that I did it. And, you know, just get God involved. Because he's going to show us, seek his will and all, all that we should do, and he'll show us which path to take. You know, I'm not as smart as I'd like to think. I need to depend, not depend on my own thoughts, but look to God as that says. Our challenges in life cause us to remember who we need to rely on. The challenges we face cause us to remember who we need to rely on. God allows us to be challenged and reminds us of our need for him. This morning I want to share with you one of the spiritual moments that defined my faith. To start, though, I want to share briefly a story about someone else. I have here, in this bag, my dad's uniform. My dad was about 10 years old when his father passed away. And um, his mother uh, wasn't a real loving mother, a good mom, but, but not very emotionally available kind of gal. Um, and So when he was about 11, I think, 10 or 11, his dad passed away. And when he was about 15, he went to his mom and said, Mom, I want to go into the military. Will you sign this thing saying I'm 18? And she did. So he went in the military. And this is his uniform from when he first went in the military. This is a little memento I have of my dad that reminds me of him, reminds him of something he went through. He signed up for the military and... um, he, he went through his service, and then he came back, and then he signed up again, and the Korean War broke out. And he was in the Korean War, and that war affected him uh, significantly, a, a large majority of his adult life. Um, you know, there's other things that I have of my dad. When he was a kid, he'd get in trouble. Once his dad passed away, he'd get in trouble sometimes. And, and uh, you know, he had an uncle named John. Who, that's my middle name is John. And Uncle John would take my dad... And he'd, uh, he'd, he'd put him in the car. He said, let's go. And he'd go over to a cornfield he knew of. And they'd walk the cornfield looking for arrowheads. And he'd just talk to my dad about what he did and how he should have done it different and what he should do in life and kind of just coached him a little bit. Kind of was a fatherly figure for him. I'm telling you this. I have three cigar boxes full of arrowheads. So He must have been really naughty. Between, <laughs> between 10 or 11 and 15, he must have been up to some business. And, he, and he'd admit it. He was naughty. He was in all kinds of mischief all the time. So I have that as a reminder of him. I have a military medal, the the Good Conduct, Medal of Good Conduct that he got from the army, which is kind of funny because he was so naughty. But you know, he obviously did some good things in the military and he served his country well. And then I have one more item that I'm going to hold till later and talk to you about later on today. So that's kind of his story. You know, he had a rough go of it. Um, he had these milestones that, that I've got his that he handed me before he passed away. And my brothers and sisters all have different stuff from him as well. But those are the things that I have, and, and they just remind me of, of moments in his life. And I like the ones that I got because they're kind of significant moments. And, and um, I thought it was pretty cool that he'd share those with me. And you know, um, life's not just a series of those awards or certificates. It's, it's these things. It's, it's these, these moments that define us, these moments that we could choose to um, make our own ways or let things get into our heart or infiltrate us. Or we can choose to follow God and let him help us navigate. These milestones here make up a story. A story that's really a miracle in the making. Overcoming many years of heartache and pain. Let's pray. Oh no, let's go to number two, sorry. I probably should pray again. Uh, number two, I saw the word prayer and I got ready to go. I'm excited. Number two, prayer, you can fill that in the blank, is the key to turn around situations. Prayer is the key to turn around situations. We have to trust God that he knows what to do and he knows what's best. It's a trust issue. 1 John 5.14 says this, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. We can be confident that God hears us when we ask things that pleases him. Well, to continue that story, that... uh, my dad in the military was in that the Chosin Reservoir battle in the Korean War, which was one of the was the worst battle, and a lot of guys uh, froze to death. He was uh, actually in the army, but he was embedded with the Marines, and uh, you know he saw guys killed. He saw you know he had frostbite himself. It took years to, that he had to work through things with that. Had remnants from that. He had friends die in battle. Um, saw a lot of horrible things that haunted him. And it settled in his heart and caused him uh, to drink. And um, my dad was a heavy, heavy drinker and a heavy smoker as well. I remember uh, him telling a story about one of the places in the war they were leaving. And they had a huge, huge pile of cigarettes, like a mountain of cigarettes. And they, and they weren't allowed to leave anything behind, so they took those cigarettes and they burned them all. And how sad he was that they burned, had to burn those cigarettes and not get to use them. He loved him. I mean, it was, he was addicted. He was addicted to alcohol, and he wasn't thinking right. And he needed God, and I was really uh, really discouraged about our family situation. He, he would come home from work, and he would immediately sit down and drink, and, he, and he'd get drunk, and he was gone the rest of the night. He wasn't mentally available. And um, that continued throughout my whole, ch- whole childhood. He was drunk and not available, and, and uh, it was... Um, it was sad how much he missed out on and how much we missed out from him because when he was sober, he was an awesome guy. He was funny. He loved telling jokes. He loved to laugh. He was quick on his feet. He was fun to be around, but most of the time he was drunk. And as I got older, he started drinking harder liquor, and that harder liquor would make him angry and mean. So not only was he sitting there dopey like normal, now he was sitting there angry and mean and, and full of anger. He'd drink uh, vodka and it would, it would cause him to be just rotten. And um, so we began at the end trying to hide his stuff and try to fix it ourselves. We were trying to figure out how can we get rid of this stuff. We need to get him to stop this. We tell him you've got to stop this. And, uh, uh, leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can't fix it yourself. I can hide, a, we can hide our, his alcohol. He'll just go buy more. We did. He just went out and bought more. He'd hide them and, he'd hide his stash his different place so we wouldn't know where they were. At the end it got really tension, a lot of tension. And... Uh, I left one day, and, um, and I went to a youth retreat when I was, I think, a junior or senior in high school. And all weekend long, no matter what they were calling for, for prayer, and honestly, I don't even remember, and I don't even know at the moment that I was paying attention. I was just thinking about, God, I need a breakthrough. I need my father to get, to get off of this alcohol and to find you. And I prayed every weekend. Every altar opportunity that happened where they come at the end of the service, they say, hey, you guys come on up here and pray. They could have been calling for pornography for all I know. I was just up there. I wanted to be there to pray for my dad. I wanted a breakthrough. I wanted to pray through and see God do something. I wanted to pray with confidence. That 1 John 5, 14 says, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask anything that pleases him. I wanted to pray with that confidence. I wanted to believe that he was going to do it. And so I got to the retreat I came home, I was tired, we had a great time, but I was tired, and coming home expecting uh, that, that, that confidence that God was going to answer that prayer. And I got out, got my luggage, got in the car, and my mom said, well, how'd it go? And I said, oh, it was nice, Mom, we had a good time, it was, I'm tired, you know. She said, oh, that was a waste of money. I don't even know why we sent you there. What a waste. I said, oh, hey, welcome. Glad to be back. I said, something's going on. So we got, I decided to just, just be quiet. best thing to do is just sit in my tiredness and not, not say anything to stir up a problem. So sitting there on the way home, and after a little while, I said, Hey, what's going on? How's things going here at home? You know, knowing that something's going on. And she said, Well, she said, um, Your dad's drinking real heavy and, and uh, this weekend, and uh, him and Belinda got in a big fight, and he got real angry with her, and she picked up, went out and got a croquet mallet and chased him into his bedroom and hit his door. I thought, Well, there's a circus. My goodness, glad I missed that. And uh, so he's all mad about that. She put a hole in the door, and da-da-da, and they're all mad at each other, and everything's a mess. So oh, man. So we got home, and uh, got out of the car. I was pretty tired, but I got out of the car and got in the house, and uh, Dad was gone. He was drunk, and he was gone, and he had took the car, so he's obviously drunk driving. And he's out and around driving the car, and uh, so we decided, man, we got to go find him. So my two older brothers who lived at home at the time and myself, and I think I was like maybe a junior, got in, the, in high school. We got in my, my brother's car and we drove around to every bar in the city that we knew. We drove over to Rockdale. And Rockdale was a town that at that time that was nothing but, you know, hair, haircuts and bars, you know, in some houses. I mean, it's just bar after bar after bar in every corner. We drove around there, looked at all those bars, drove around to Plainfield, looked around there, and couldn't find him anywhere. So we went back home. And we just, we just worried, wondered where he was and what's going on. And about 11:30 that night, the phone rang, and it was the police. And they said uh, to my mom, "We have Raymond Smith here. He has a DUI. He spe- he he must have done something. but He spun off the road and spun a circle in the churches in one of the church in a, in a church's uh, grass field. Spun out." And came to a stop, and we found him there, passed out, and we, are, uh, we took him to jail. He's, and uh, they, she said, well, what do we need to do? She said, well, you either need to come bail him out, or if, if we're up to us, we think you should just leave him, let him sit the night. My mom said, no, we're going to come get him. So she sent me and my brother that we went looking for, and, and we got my brother's Firebird. Firebird's like a Trans Am at that time. It was a cool car, except if you were in the back seat. Back seat was lousy. You had to kind of army crawl to get in there. You know, it was like you had to crawl over two door. So we got in the back seat. I got in the back seat, and we drove over there. And I just stayed in the car. They went into the jail because I didn't want to get back in that back seat again. You know, it's, it was a hassle back there. It was already cramped. So sitting there, and they go in, and they bail Dad out. He comes out to the car. He gets in. He shuts the door, and he says, well, you really did it to me this time. You guys really did it to me this time. Look what you did. Now, I got a problem. I got all these problems because you guys, you know, being in the door and, you know, chasing me around. Now, look what happened. Look what you did. You guys, I, 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 look what you did. You just kept saying that all the way home. Look what you did to me this time. You really did it to me. Now, you did it to me. Not taking any ownership for his actions. And I was really, really angry at that moment. I was quiet about it, but I just was pretty upset. I was upset with him, but I was also upset with God. I had just spent all weekend emphatically praying and seeking God and saying, God, please, you've got to intervene here. And I came back to this mess. Went to bed at 2 in the morning. I had a 6.15 bus ride to school in the morning. So I got up at 5.45 and got dressed, got to school. And I'll tell you, at that moment, I felt discouraged. I said, God, didn't you hear me? What is this? This is like the opposite. Now it's worse. It was already terrible. Now it's worse. What what do you I don't understand? Are you not hearing me? Am I doing something wrong? What's going on? I felt discouraged. I wasn't hearing anything from God. I was just kind of sad and frustrated, angry. I'm gonna tell you in your moments of disappointment and discouragement, don't give up. Don't let that be the period. Of the of the thing, don't let it be the end. I'm going to tell you a story uh, that Jesus told. Let's read it to you from Luke 18, chapter one. It's called the Persist- Parable of the Persistent Widow. It's a story Jesus was telling people. It said one day, Jesus gave, told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city who came who neither feared not feared God nor cared about people. This judge. And a widow of that city came to him repeatedly, saying, Give me justice for this dispute with my enemy. She wanted justice for that dispute. She's in a dispute with an enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But he finally said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that her she gets justice just because she's wearing me out with other constant requests. I want to get rid of her. Then Jesus said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who still have faith? Don't let your past experiences steal your faith for believing for a great future. I have to put the past behind me. We have to put it behind us. How long and how many times am I going to pray about a situation before giving up? Should I pray three times? Six times? 600 times? Well, I can tell you for my dad, I bet we prayed over 600 times between us. My mom had been praying him for years, probably thousands of times. I remember going to Sunday school and pray, pray, you know my prayer request: pray for my dad that he'd come to know Jesus and stop drinking. Little kid, don't give up. Letting discouragement settle in your heart and steal your faith may rob you of a miracle. My girls are tenacious. When they want something from me, they are great at asking it a thousand times in a hundred different ways. Well, not really, but it does feel that way. Uh, But I want my girls to have things they desire, and sometimes their patience and persistence pays off. Sometimes they go, all right, I don't want to hear it anymore, fine. You know, because it's just, just, it wasn't that big of a deal, and I thought about it, and I wasn't right the first time. Or I thought, you know what, I need to give them this one. Don't give up. Be like that persistent widow. Remember the first verse of this story, because it's key. Jesus was telling his disciples a story to show how they should always pray and never give up. Keep praying and believing for God to intervene. I'm not claiming that God answers every prayer we ask of him. At least not the way we hope or would like. However, let's not give up on praying. Let's keep an open heart and mind that stays in contact with God. Here's some great thoughts that I found in in studying for this sermon today on how prayer, your prayer, can be more effective. How my prayer can be more effective. Let's look at this together. This is from the Fire Study Bible. Donald Stamps, a great missionary that was in our fellowship who's uh, no longer on earth but with the Lord now. He's passed on. I went to school with his son at uh, Bible College, Jenny and I did. He was a really nice guy. I didn't know him very well, but he seemed like a very nice guy. And uh, his dad wrote the, put the study notes together for, the, for a Pentecostal perspective called the Fire Study Bible, and it's a great Bible. And I want to share these five things. First, number one, we must have true and sincere faith that God hears our prayers, that he has the ability to accomplish what is needed, and that he will, he will do and he knows what is best in the situation. He's going to do what's best. There's three scriptures there, Mark 9, 23, Mark 11:24, 24, and James 1:6. If you want to jot those down and look those up yourself, you're welcome to do that. Number two, so prayer also should be made in Jesus' name. Now, this doesn't mean we must just add in Jesus' name at the end of our prayer uh, for God to hear us. But in the Bible, doing something in someone's name means doing it with their approval and their authority. We're praying with the authority of Jesus Christ. We're praying in his name. There's amazing power in the name of Jesus. John fourteen, thirteen to fourteen says, You can ask anything in my name, and I will do it. So the Son of God will bring glory to the Father. Yes, yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it, Jesus said. Number three The effect of prayer is greatest when we ask those things that are in harmony with God's perfect will with his desires, his intentions in the situation, his plans, his purposes. If we get around what God wants in the situation and not all about our agenda and our checklist of what God needs to do for us to be happy, but when we get around it, we get aligned with what God wants, something significant can happen. That's Matthew 6.10, Matthew 26.42, and Luke 11.2. Let's look at 1 John 5.14 together. It says, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. So here's our confidence in approaching God in prayer. That we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So if we're asking something according to what his will is, he's, he's hearing us. I like the statement that he said in, in this writing. He said this. He said, We can be sure that any prayer truly based on the promises and motives of God's word will be effective. Donald Stamps said that. Number four not only must we pray according to God's will, but we must be living in God's will if we expect him to respond positively to our prayers. God will give us the things that we ask for only if our desires are in harmony with his desires and our motives are pure and right. Jesus says, tells us, seek kingdom, seek his kingdom and righteousness. Righteousness is doing right things, living according to the Bible, being obedient. Matter of fact, you see, uh, uh, you know, Apostle Paul talked about obe- obeying God as much as he does us praying, praying to him and talking to him. He talk- that that's very much tied together. Being righteous. And he'll take care of us and provide all that we need. Matthew 6.33 and 1 John 3.32, you can look those up as well. Finally, our prayers are to be effective. We must be persistent. We must continue to ask until we get our answer. That's the main point of the story about the persistent widow. We prayed for my dad for years. My mom prayed and she believed. But that weekend our persistence in prayer paid off with a miracle. Because when I arrived home from school after that nightmarish night, and I walked in the house, my dad was sitting in a chair that was pretty far from the front door. We had an L-shaped living room, dining room thing, and we just and we had an eating kitchen, so we didn't use the dining room, we kind of set up as an L-shaped living room. And he'd sit on the far end, and the TV would be by the front door. And I walked in by the TV by the front door, and he looked at me. And he said, son, I want you to come here. And I was pretty honked. I was keeping myself together, but I was pretty upset. And I said, what do you want? He said, come here. So I walked, and I stood right there where that front row is. He said, no, come right here. So I walked up and stood right in front of him. He said, son, I want you to know I'm never going to drink again. And I said, well, Dad, I, I really hope not. I really hope not. And then I walked off into the kitchen. My mom was in the kitchen. She said, hey. She said, you don't understand. He's never, ever said that before. He's told me he would slow down. He's told me that he would, he would not drink as often. He's never, ever said he would quit. And that was it. He did. Um, not only that, though. That's great into a prayer, but that's not the fullness of what we were praying for. We were praying for, you know, him to have something written officially, too. But it's written in heaven, in the Lamb's Book of Life. We were praying for his name to be written up there. Praying for him to come know Jesus. And so, we, uh, my, my brother-in-law's father came over and visited my dad. And he talked to my dad about Christ, and my dad prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into his life. And... My uncle called him and said, Ray, you're not going to be able to do this on your own. He said, I just finished this program. because my, my, my uncle and him, uh, we'd go on vacation to visit. They were drinking buddies. They'd go out and fish and just get drunk, and that's what they did for, for entertainment. But that uncle had given up drinking. He called my dad and said, Hey, I want you to, uh, you should get an AA. He said, it's helped me. I think it would help you. My dad got an AA, and I have this coin that I asked my mom if I could have before she passed away. I said, Mom, can I have this coin Uh, Because it means something to me. And it's not because it represents AA to me. I mean, AA is a fine program. But any program's good if it helps you to process stuff. There's some great Christian programs out there um, that can really help you as well. AA's got some Christian roots to it, but uh, it's kind of just, you know, God in general. But uh, why I like this coin, and he carried this. This coin is worn. You know why? Because he carried it in his pocket. And he carried it because... um, it was a reminder to him of the vow that he made and that he's not living the same way anymore, that he's got Jesus in his life. And I went out and bought him his first Bible. Uh, well, I, I bought him the first one. He'd re- he had one that he would read. It was, a, it was like a, a different version, though it wasn't King James, but it was a pretty hard version uh, to read. And I said, Dad, let me get you this Bible. And I went and got him this Bible, but at the time it was brand new and they only had kid versions of it. And so I bought him this Bible and it was bright blue. I mean, as bright neon blue as you could see. And uh, so I brought that home to him, but it was a New Century version. It was written on a third-grade reading level. And I said, Dad, this is a literal translation. This is not somebody just talking about the Bible. This is literally somebody translating it from the original Greek and Hebrew to English. But it's written on a way that's written for third-grade reading level, so it's just easy. It's just, you know, it's devotional. It's kind of easy to to just keep along with. And so he read that thing from cover to cover so many times that he broke the binding. Finally, they released an adult version. I went and got him one of those, and and he used that, and he, he broke that one out. He read the Bible and he prayed. He'd kneel on every night and pray. That's a miracle. That was 20 years in the making. 20, 20 something years. My mom had been praying a long time. And it wasn't because of my prayer one weekend, but it was a culmination of prayers leading to that weekend. Don't give up on God before he's done with the story. Don't put a period where a comma is supposed to be. I want to talk about the power of prayer. Look at the scripture. James 5, 13 through 18 says this. Are there any suffering hardships? You should pray. If you're going through a difficult time this morning, you need to pray. Are you happy? Sing praises. Are you sick? Call for the elders of the church so they can come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord, Jesus. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Listen to this next part. It says, the earnest prayer, the genuine prayer of a righteous person. I think righteous is following and obeying God's commands, doing right things according to what God would want, obeying him and living for him. That person's prayer has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Just a man, but he prayed earnestly and God heard him and no rain fell. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. If we follow God's teachings, obey him and continually rely on him to do what is right, our prayers will hold great weight with God. Number three, final point. Our eternal legacy is impacted lives. Now, a lot of us like to think about our legacy as far as here on earth. What are people going to say, you know, when we get that other certificate in the, that, that our family gets? You know, the death certificate. What are they going to say about us? You know, we, we collect these things, you know, we get these awards. We have all these things that we can give our kids. And, and oh yeah, here's this license to preach. Here's this ordination. Here's this. Here's that. Here's the certificate. This. But those things are temporal. They're temporary. They're just part of this life. But what what is our eternal legacy going to be? It needs to be impacted lives. My life is full of faith markers. Moments of spiritual impact. Moments of life-changing spiritual significance. I don't have any certificates of faith proving those. But I'll tell you what, I think of those things often. The, The moments of impact with God and with Christ and the miracles that he's done in my life. Those things I think about all the time. I, those certificates that I've got in that the thing and the memories, those are great things to remember, but they don't define me. They, they, weren't, they weren't everything in me. What's in me is the spiritual life, that journey of faith. And I'll tell you, these are the kind of things that impacted my life. People who loved me at church when I was a kid, coming in smelling like cigarettes. I didn't even know how much I smelled so heavy and thick of cigarettes until I got to college. And I hung my stuff in the dorm and walked out of the room and then came back in and go, what in the world? start doing laundry and you realize, wow, you're not supposed to smell this. It stank. And people would hug me anyway, even though I stank like a cigarette butt. They would hug me. They'd pat me on the head. They would tell me I'm valuable to them. One of the guys in the church, a couple of guys in the church, took us, took us a bunch of boys and took us all over vacationing, all around the country camping. They invested in me. They believed in me. There are people who came and gave me rides to and from church so I could be involved in ministries there, the puppet team and other things that I enjoyed doing. There are people who, who said every Wednesday they would come and get me and bring me home. Every Sunday night they'd come and take me home. People would do stuff, to just invest in me because they cared. I've had people throughout my ministry help me in difficult financial times. They didn't know there was a need. They didn't know I was having difficulty. But they prayed and God spoke to them and they gave. They said, look, I'm going to give you this. I don't want you to t- not take it because God told me to give this to you. And it would, it would just be what I needed. It would be what I needed. I've told you this story before about the guy knocking on the door when I was in college. He ate my last macaroni and cheese made out of water. You know, I added the water to the, to the cheese. It was pretty gross. But I was out of food. And it wasn't near payday yet. And one of the other students from my home church knocked on my door and said, God told me to give you this. And it was $100 and took took me and bought me food. That's a moment that I cling to, to know that God hasn't forgotten me. When I'm desperate, he's just getting going. He's just getting ready to reveal how good he is. People who believed in me and recognized God's call in my life, sent me to churches and camps, wrote me notes of encouragement. People who responded to a vision and helped me make it happen in churches that I've worked at. People who've helped me and blessed me, the community of faith, other Christians. You know, there's two sides of a miracle. Most often, I see God using people to do his work. Sometimes it's like my dad, where no person could have done anything, but God did use people there. He used used my brother in law's father. And he used my uncle unwittingly to get him into AA so he'd start making good life choices and start getting his act together. God uses people most often to to finish his miracles. Life moments are planned. God moments are discovered. We plan our life moments. We plan to go to school. We plan to graduate from high school. We plan to go to college. I plan to be licensed, because I felt like God told me to do that. It was clear, and so I did that. And then I got ordained, and I I have a merit certificate because we planned all those things. Those are planned events. But God just, the moments, he just shows up in the moment of desperation where I thought for sure my dad was gone, and we should give up. He called me and said, stand right here. Stand right here, son. Some of you probably have some similar story that you're thinking about now. Some of you, when I talked about helping other people, and you think, oh yeah, I did that. God told me to give that. I wonder what happened there. You may not know what you are in the miracle. A lot of people who helped me in miracles don't know the whole story. But that's not what it's about. It's not about us getting a claim or patting ourselves on the back. It's just being obedient and looking for opportunities for God to lead us. There is great satisfaction in finishing a life event, and it's worthy of celebration. You know, graduating from high school, college, we should celebrate those things. Getting married, celebrate them. Those are great events. I'm not trying to downplay those at all. However, the moments that transform my life, the moments that I remember and hold tight to in difficult seasons, the moments that transform my beliefs and impacted my character, and the moments when God revealed an answer to my prayer are the moments that God revealed an answer to my prayers and situations. The moments of significant uncertainty built my faith as God revealed himself. Those moments where God showed up in a situation that cannot be solved any other way. Those struggles turned into miracles. And they're in here. I don't have a, tr- I don't have a trunk full of stuff that I can tell you, show you about them. But I'll tell you what, I can tell you about them because they're in my heart. They define who I am. They define how much, I, how much my faith has grown in God each time he reveals himself and shows that he's there for us. Proverbs 13, 12 says, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heartsick, But a sudden good break can turn life around. God is in the turnaround business. He's in it. He's all about transformation. He's about life transformation. That's what he's about. He's about taking Jeff Smith as I am right now and making me a better Jeff Smith for tomorrow so I can greater, have greater impact. He's for that for each of us. He's a God of good news. Just to be clear, I'm not downplaying those significant life events. They are significant. They're meaningful. But what we do with the gifts and talents we're given that helped us get those events and those awards and those recognition that we've gotten by others We need that he's giving us those things to affirm us so that we can use those things to impact lives for him so that we'll have greater significance. Every trophy you have, every certificate that you've earned from work, every time you've been recognized, it's just you getting better, but it's giving God more opportunity to help use you better. See, we're called to use whatever we have for him Man wants to see our life achievements. They're interested in our resume. If I go and say, I want to go over here, and they say, oh, well, let me see what you got. What's your resume? What's it look like? They're interested in that. God wants us to remember our spiritual victories, our faith-building moments. God has equipped you right now with everything you need to start being an encouragement to others' faith. All those awards and certificates show how he has gifted you and those talents are to be utilized to encourage others. Romans 12:3 through 8 talks about this. It says, "Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think of yourselves better than you really are. So don't get all puffed up and haughty because you got lots of awards in your cabinet. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God's given you the ability to prophesy and speak, you know, tells you about something, speak out with as much faith as God's given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it with gladness. Do it gladly. What are the moments that, that you've placed in your heart? What are the things that are going to be things that you cling to that no certificate that you have shows where God re- revealed himself and showed up? I'll tell you what, if you want to be impactful and you haven't seen everything you want to see in life, those five things that I went through about being humble, getting aligned with what God would want in the situation and praying for his will to come to pass and trusting him and acting like you trust him by doing things because you do, it'll be amazing how God will show up and how miracles will happen. And I could go on and on about a lot of miracles that I won't that have happened in my life and ministry. You need to pray that God will lead you and use you to help others. You may be used by God to encourage someone in their faith. You may be a part of God's plan to answer someone's prayer and be a part of his miracle. Closing, um, there's a gentleman at the second church that I was pastor, past children's pastor at. And he was the church maintenance head church maintenance guy. Great guy, young guy, you know, maybe twenty, early twenties, and um, I had heard often from people in the church that, oh, you know, uh, Dave's called to be a children's pastor. He's, he's told us that. Well, Dave wasn't involved anywhere in children's ministries. Dave just acted pretty much disinterested in children's ministries. Well, God spoke to me and told me I needed to t- pull Dave aside and talk to him. But I'll tell you what, I was worried. I was worried how he would react and I was worried how his dad would react because his dad was a pretty important person in the church. And uh, I went to Dave and I said, Dave, I said, buddy, you need to stop talking about being called to children's ministries if you're not going to do anything about it. Either God's called you or he hasn't. And he said, yeah, I said, I know, but I don't, I, you know, right now, I just want to, you know, I don't want to do that right now and I've, I've got this other stuff, I'm just working and just trying to get some stuff together. I said, look, so God's bigger than all of that. I'm not saying you have to jump in with both feet, but get, get involved. Start showing your interest. So I, I I will help you. If you want it, I'll help you. I'll encourage you, and I'll even, you know, give you a great reference and help you find something when the time's right. So we kind of left it there, he came back to me, and he said, boy, he said, honestly, I didn't like what you said, but he said you were right. And he said, uh, let's do it. Let's do this, because God has called me, and I need to do this. I need to stop talking about it and just giving it lip service. And he jumped in, and about, I don't know, a couple months ago, I got this Facebook post on the message, Facebook message from him, and it said this. Dave said, we love you guys. Thanks for your investment in us years ago. I've been the children's pastor here for 14 years now. It's just, you don't always hear those things, but you know, sometimes you get to enjoy the miracle, You get to see the fruit of the miracle. And I get to rejoice with Dave that we had that conversation because lives have been transformed in Madison, Wisconsin for what, 17 years? 14 years at that point. So it's probably out close to 15 now. It's been children's pastor at the same church, impacting kids' lives and telling them about Jesus. And I had a small part of that just by stepping out. God gave me a word of prophecy, a word to, uh, to share with him, a thought that I needed to share with him. And I was worried about it. I was fearful to do it. But I'll tell you what, a couple things. First of all, you better know if you're going to tell somebody something, you better make sure that, you, that God's telling you to tell them. Otherwise, don't, don't do that. But if you really feel like God's telling you to do something, you better do it or things aren't going to be good.